Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 8 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everybody had a happy Halloween out there. Mine was not as good as I would have liked. It left quite a bit to be desired. Had some problems getting a costume for my son to the point that I will no longer be shopping at a certain Halloween franchise. Uh, And then we had a wonderful bout of severe storms come through as well as a tornado watch. So that kind of preempted our trick-or-treating joy. And of course, I still haven't managed to get that Lovecraftian horror movie scheduled, so that's a no-go for this week. We'll probably just put that one off and hopefully eventually we'll get it recorded. But... Halloween is just not the day of Halloween. It is usually the month leading up to it at this point, and that gave me the chance to listen to lots of podcasts out there full of spooky stories or horror movies or that kind of thing. And I mentioned that because a couple of those shows had some influence on me over the last week, particularly The Movie Crush. For my Halloween viewing, I sat down and watched Evil Dead 2 after I listened to Chuck and his guest talk about that. It was a movie I had not seen yet. I'd seen the other movies in the franchise, and I'd always avoided the Evil Dead 2 because my understanding is it was just a remake of the original Evil Dead, which is, for some reason, a story that's been spread around, and it simply isn't true. It's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend checking it out. There was also a roundtable discussion on another episode of The Movie Crush where Chuck asked his guests about what their first horror movie was. And one of the answers stood out to me even at the time. The person's first horror movie was Scream. And my immediate reaction became their point of conversation, which was, what an odd choice to have as your first horror movie. Because Scream works with the tropes within the slasher genre and provides quite a bit of commentary about the genre as a whole attempting to both subvert it and duplicate it. And if you aren't familiar with the other movies in the genre, then how can you really appreciate Scream? So if it's your starting off point, it's an enjoyable story on its own, but you're missing that deeper meaning that Wes Craven built into the story. I kind of find myself in a similar situation this week. Our movie selection, Pootie Tang, is representative of and a parody of black exploitation films, And it wasn't until I was preparing for the podcast that I realized I really haven't seen a whole lot of movies in the blaxploitation genre. So it made it a little more difficult to look to see if there was a deeper meaning to the movie. I had to just enjoy it on the surface level, and it's no scream. Pootie Tang is also a bit challenging because it was written and directed by Louis C.K., a comedian I used to really appreciate who's had quite the fall from grace over the past couple of years because of his behavior, something that we do get to talk about within the episode. Now, why would I tackle a movie that takes on a specific genre that I'm not very familiar with and is made by an artist who brings kind of a problematic discussion to the table? Well, it's really simple. I don't pick the movie. That's kind of the golden rule of this podcast is the guest picks the movie. I have no input on it whatsoever. I have to take what I've been given and watch it and hopefully provide a meaningful and entertaining conversation about it. Sometimes I get a really enjoyable film like last week's Robot and Frank, and sometimes I get movies that I don't care for as much. But that's part of the joy and randomness of doing a podcast like this. I will talk probably next week, about that golden rule and why it's so important that I don't have any involvement in picking the movie. But it is my golden rule, and in this case, it brought a movie that, while I wasn't thrilled with, at least we got some conversation out of. Before we get to this week's movie, though, I want to return to last week's flick, Robot and Frank, and I got a lot of feedback on that episode and having my dad on the podcast. And I want to thank you all for the kind words about having my dad on the show. I have heard from several people that I should have him on more regularly. And and it's also part of the plan, as far as this podcast goes, is not to repeat guests. So while I'm not counting it out completely, I wouldn't count on seeing him again anytime soon. But that episode right now is probably one of my favorites of the ones we've done. It's a really entertaining film, and he and I had a great conversation about it. Inspired by that movie, my Friday inquiry this week asked, what is your favorite movie-slash-television robot and why? And while I didn't get a whole lot of answers for this one, I really appreciate the ones I did. On Facebook, Chris Talent sounded off saying, Marvin from Hitchhiker's Guide, and why? Just because he's so damn relatable to real life. 
Thomas Mariani also chimed in on Facebook saying the Iron Giant. And James Rodriguez chimed in on Twitter with the Iron Giant because he can be who he chooses to be. I have to admit, I didn't think of the Iron Giant when I was posing that question. My brain went to C-3PO and R2-D2 and BB-8 from the Star Wars movies, Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet, the robot from Lost in Space, those kinds of things. But Iron Giant is such a great pick. That is an underappreciated movie, and definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it. I always ask my Friday Inquiry movie on Fridays on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Have Not Seen This and on Facebook at Have Not Seen This Podcast. Turning to this week's episode, a couple of weeks ago, I had Chris Talent on the show, and he provides the music for our show as well. And when I initially approached him about this podcast, it was to do the music, but I had him on my list of potential guests. And when I asked him about actually appearing on the show, his response was that I didn't really want him because he wasn't big into movies, but that I should ask his wife because she was the movie buff of his household. So he put me in touch with his wife, Marissa Talent, who is our guest this week. And this provided a really interesting opportunity for me because even though I've known Chris for years, thanks to him meeting me through the original podcast and helping me out with music for subsequent podcasts, I've never really had any interaction with his wife. And we had a Facebook conversation about her background, as well as movies that she thought she might like to do. And then our first actual audio conversation was this episode of the podcast. So have a listen. Let me know what you think. Here we go with 2001's Pootie Tang. In... Facebook, when we started talking about this, that you have quite the background in film, actually. Eh, kind of. I mean, I went to community college, so it's not like it's a fancy degree or anything, but that was kind of my focus was writing and creative writing and screenwriting and um, had a lot of film and creative writing classes in college. Gotcha. What were you actually studying? I think my major just ended up being liberal arts, but my main focus was screenwriting. Gotcha. So do you have to write a screenplay for that? Um, actually, no. <laughs> 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 and that's how we know it was community college. Um... <laughs> See, I took a screenwriting class, just a class for my master's, and I had to write a screenplay for that. So I'm a little surprised. Well, yeah, but you kind of dropped in masters and like i said this was community college so it was a whole different ballpark <laughs> gotcha so what kind of movies did you grow up loving probably first and foremost comedies just anything that's gonna make you laugh or giggle whether it's weird or stupid or silly anything that's just going to get a good laugh i usually love so comedy first and foremost Gotcha. And, you know, I've kind of joked with uh, a couple of people about your selection of movie, <laughs> really showing how well you and Chris belong together, given the movie <laughs> that he brought a couple weeks ago to the show. Mm -hmm. So I, I got to ask, uh, what was you and Chris's first movie that you went to see? Oh, Lord. I think the first one that we saw together was uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was great because it combined both comedy and science fiction. And science fiction is another one of my favorite genres. So Yeah. Well, and that's I, – I just love Douglas Adams' work. Uh, you know, I grew up with his novels. I didn't realize that it was a radio play first, so I just knew them as the novels. And it really wasn't until, until that movie that I really even saw it on the screen. So, yeah. That's that's a that's a good that's that has nothing to do with the movie that either of you picked. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, but I I don't know. I wanted to go with something that I don't think many people have seen or heard of and is really out there. It's kind of stupid and silly, but you can't help but not laugh at some of the crazy antics in the movie. So yeah, well you 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 got you you got some of that there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess before we get to the movie, one of the things I, I want to start with is kind of address the elephant in the room. And this isn't a topic I've had to talk about on the podcast before. Uh, I skirted around, I think it was last week's show when I was talking with my dad, and the topic of moon came up, 
And I mentioned, you know, the robot in Moon is voiced by Kevin Spacey. And I just kind of danced around and said, yeah, but we won't talk about that. We've gotten into a period with, especially with the Me Too movement. Oh, yeah. Where we really have to figure out how to separate art and artist. This isn't a new thing. We've seen this in the past with like uh, Woody Allen, where you really have to separate the art, the, the film from the artist and what they may or may not have done. This movie is written and directed by Louis C.K., who yep. two years ago had at least five allegations put against him for misbehavior, we'll call it, because he, he never really hit on women as much as he abused his station with them, I guess is the best way to put it. That's a really nice way of putting it, but yeah. <laughs> How would you put it? Um, He exposed himself uh, yes. non-consensually, I guess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this is written in, and Louis C.K., essentially his career just died overnight. Yeah. He had a movie that was coming out when those allegations happened, and th they pulled the plug on releasing the film. He had other stuff that was going on. Uh, he had a, a deal with HBO for another comedy special. They pulled the plug on that. Uh, Netflix pulled all the comedy specials he had on Netflix for a while. They're back there now, by the way, but they pulled them for a while. And and even trying to restart his comedy career earlier this year, he came under fire for some of the choices he was making. So how do you, as a woman, bring that filmmaker, that comedian, that artist here? What are your thoughts on the subject? Um... It's something that I found funny before the Me Too movement, and it's something that I still find funny now. Um, the fact that his status in Hollywood has changed doesn't change the humor of the film to me. So you're completely able to separate art and artist is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, humor is humor. Art is art. I might not agree with everybody, but not everybody's going to agree with me. And I'm open to, you know, conversation and kind of meeting in the middle. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, I, watching the movie, we'll get to that here in just a second. But watching it, you know, I mean, I was, I'm nervous to talk about this movie just to be upfront with you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, because we're two white people talking about a movie that is a black exploitation slash parody of black exploitation. So that that on its own, you know, is troublesome to me. But then on top of that, to add the Louis CK element, it, it, but but sitting and watching the movie, it, it didn't I never really thought about Louis CK's fingerprints on this film. And I know he got he didn't have anything to do with the final cut of the movie. He got pulled from it. But it, it, it was his words to start with. It was his direction. And whether or not the film reflects what his vision was for it, you can't deny that he was involved. Right. Unless, I guess, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and Brian Singer. Uh, you can't really deny that, that he was involved in this. And yet I didn't really feel troubled watching it along with that. Does that make sense? Yes. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Our film this week is 2001's Pootie Tang. <laughs> you can't even say the name without getting a giggle <laughs> no i can't <laughs> me neither <laughs> written and directed by louis ck starring lance crother jb smoove jennifer coolidge reg e kathy robert vaughn wanda sykes chris rock among others in modern-day America, the corporations run our lives. But one man is prepared to take our country back. This summer, meet a superhero like no other. Pooty Tang, one bad brother, man. Pooty Tang whip your butt so bad that you can write it off on your taxes. Since the inception of Pooty Tang's ad campaign, sales are down 30%. He steals from me. I want him dead. Dead, dead, Pooty! Man, Pooty done 
did it again. Paramount Pictures presents, in association with MTV Films and Chris Rock Productions. We got Booty Tang in the house tonight. A man too cool for words. So let's listen up to the new record by Booty Tang. Put it on need no words, don't even need no music. You could set my body ablaze, you skinny, wonderful man. Lance Crowther. Wanda Sykes. Give me some more of your juicy neck bone one more time. And Chris Rock. Daddy? You damn right I'm your daddy. Pootie tag. Oh, oh buddy, man. Side I take. All right, so I have not seen this movie. Yeah. How do you describe this film to me in a way? How do you sell me on it? How do you describe it to me in a way that's going to make me want to see it? Hmm. Would you like to watch a hilarious clusterfuck? <laughs> 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 yes. Let's watch Pootie Tang. <laughs> so you're kind of acknowledging from the start that this is not a very good movie. No, it's like it's it's. I put it in the category of so bad it's good, if that makes sense. But I still love it. Okay. All right. (laughs) Hilarious clusterfuck. Okay. So that's how you sell this movie. That that right there (laughs) says a lot. I'm feeling a lot less guilty about my feelings about the movie now. I don't know that I'm feeling more comfortable about discussing it. But uh, So all the movies out there, why was this your choice? Like I've said before, it's one that even within my family, we still joke about. It's one that, like I said before, it's so bad that it's good. I have a lot of movies that I like that are so bad that they're good. Um, This is probably one of my top favorites. Just because, oh, there's so much they poke fun at, but it's so low budget. And I don't know, it's just... I always get giggles out of it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So what kind of situation is a, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch Pootie Tang? Like, this isn't something you just throw on any day of the week, is it? Um, no, mood has to strike me. But um, it's a, well, I don't know. It's a glass of wine or whatever and sit down and watch Pootie Tang or, I don't know. It's just mood has to strike me and definitely have to be feeling silly and Pootie Tang definitely covers silly. Okay. Starting just kind of looking at the critical side of things, because I, I find it <laughs> I find it interesting. This is the lowest rated movie of any of the movies we've had on the show so far. Um, 27% at Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. 27%. But it does have a uh, 63% audience score. So the users of Rotten Tomatoes have chimed in and given it a better score than the critics did. However, over at Metacritic, it's only at 31%. So a couple of reviews. I always like to start with Roger Ebert, and he definitely had something to say about this. He gave it half a star, and he said, Pootie Tang is not so bad as much as inexplicable. You watch in puzzlement. How did this train wreck happen? How was this movie assembled out of such ill-fitting pieces? Who thought it was funny? Who thought it was finished? For that matter, was it finished? Take away the endless opening titles and end credits, and it's about 70 minutes long. The press notes say that it comes from the comedy laboratory of HBO's Emmy Award-winning Chris Rock show. It's like one of those lab experiments where the room smells like swamp gas and the mice are all dead. He certainly paints a picture. Yes, he does. Now, I always try to find a, a positive review to counter out the negative or a negative review to counter out the positive. So on the other side, we have Nathan Lee's The Village Voice, and he writes, Pootie Tang works in part because it doesn't, which is to say the movie's special success is inextricable from the, the moments, and there are many, where it blatantly fails. It is one of the most amateurish features ever released by a major studio, full of manic, unfocused energy and shameless, semi-inscrutable silliness, as well as the sweetness and lack of cynicism reflected by its cheerful cult. The movie exerts a beguiling charm that can only be explained as the je ne sais quoi of Saturday. <laughs> and, and it's not an incredibly positive review, but I loved the way he turned the phrase there at the end. 
the je ne sais quoi of Sadate. Yeah, Sadate. <laughs> <laughs> and then just because I found this one interesting, I think I found this one on Wikipedia, but I, I'm familiar with the book. Uh, Kevin Murphy, who is one of the people, he's behind Rift Tracks and he was behind um, the original MST3K. He wrote a book called A Year at the Movies. And he praised the film in that book. He wrote, Pootie Tang crosses all cultural barriers to become the dumbest movie I've seen in an entire generation. But it's also funny as hell. Pootie Tang strives for the dumbness it achieves, a feat few films can do. This is a good kind of dumb, like mooning, like a cat falling off a table. <laughs> I guess that also paints a picture, too. Pootie yeah. Tang, cat falling off a table. <laughs> there you go. So. I don't even know where to begin with this movie. It It is, uh, I, I think all of those reviews have it pretty dead on. It is silly. It is stupid. <laughs> it is based on a skit from the Chris Rock show, which mm -hmm. Louis C.K. was a part of. And I, I, it's one of those movies where you kind of go, well, they probably should have left it in skit form. <laughs> probably but then we wouldn't have this behemoth of a strange movie <laughs> i don't know one of my favorite bits or one of the things that just gets me the most is just the way he speaks it makes no sense but after a while you start to understand what he's trying to say with the phrases that he uses does that right. make sense yeah, that does make sense. Uh, I mean, it's introduced in the, the narration we get from his best friend growing up uh, that Pootie Tang was too cool for words. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get at first that that's what was going on. I, I, I wrote in my, in my notes that it opens with a Bob Costas inter interview mm -hmm. and it's introduced as if it's a film clip and Bob Costas asks him who's in it. And he lists off just these nonsensical names until he gets to Robert Vaughn. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then as you watch the movie, you realize that those are actually the names of the characters in it. Names like, you know, Bad Billy and Dirty D and mm -hmm. Trucky and that kind of stuff. So I, I didn't get that at first. And then once it started and we got the narration saying he was too cool for words, I, I agree with you. I mean, the, a lot of what he's saying is challenging. Because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But to his credit, Lance Crother does manage eventually to get you to feel what he's trying to say through those words. Right. So, I mean, it, there's actually a good performance there, despite the script, if, I think, or, <laughs> or despite the movie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, like I said, it's just, it's gibberish, but it's... It's, it's gibberish that's repeated and you can tell by the inflection and when it's said basically what he's trying to say so like I said within my family we kind of made that a joke and we started taking some of those phrases and we'd say them to each other so that's kind of one of those things that's just kind of kept going and going so you just walk around with your family going Saturday um <laughs> uh I'll say something like Sadate or uh, Sign Your Pity on the Runny Kind, um, <laughs> Deneno, my brother. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, just you just randomly pull them out and they're like, what? Oh, <laughs> booty tag. <laughs> well, and, and they actually do a nice joke with that towards the end of the movie when they return to the Bob Costas interview mm -hmm. and Pootie Tang says something and Bob Costas starts to take offense at it. Like, yeah. what What did you just say? And we as the audience are still clueless as to what he's saying. <laughs> and in that case, the performance, the emotion behind the performance doesn't really generate the kind of response that Bob Costas is giving, mm -hmm. which, which is where the humor, I guess, lies there. I think he ends up changing, like Pootie Tang, I think, ends up changing something either adding a word or changing his inflection, he says it again, and then he's like, oh, oh, okay. Right, right. Now I'm not offended, and we're all like, how are you offended to begin with? <laughs> yeah. So the timing of watching this is interesting because we just had the release on Netflix of the, I guess it's not a documentary as much as it's a recreation, a fictionalized telling of the 
creation of um oh how do i go blank on names so quickly uh what the heck is it with eddie murphy that just came out oh um dolomite right we just had the the kind of the his fictional history uh, of dolomite and, right. and I noticed that Dolomite itself is out on Amazon. You have Netflix covering kind of the making of Dolomite. And, and those are probably, that's probably the pinnacle of popular black exploitation films. Uh, also based on a comedian's character that he generated. And then we get a movie out of that. And, and here we are talking about a, a, an 18-year-old movie. A, that's kind of the same thing. So your timing is really interesting. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but... I didn't plan or think oh. of any of the things associated with this movie. <laughs> well, I don't think they did either, frankly. <laughs> no, yeah. I get that. I'm just saying I find the timing interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Either really good or really bad timing on my part. <laughs> so, I mean, I like some of the, the, the comedic elements, like when Pootie Tang's a, a, a kid and you have the kind of the iconic breakup you know ghetto breakup where the woman's throwing the man's clothes out the window but in this case it's his toys because he's still just a kid yeah and she throws his his uh big wheel trike out his big wheel trike out the window yeah that's yeah. funny that's a that's a nifty beat to have there but then you know i i don't know I guess, you know, in a way, it's just trying to say that he was, it's like he was born a, a womanizer or a woman, a female magnet. Yeah, he's not a womanizer. I mean, yeah. that's that's an important important distinction because a lot of the black exploitation characters were. And this is a definite a difference for Pootie Tang is that he's not. Yeah. That he is essentially respectful to women, which again makes me mm -hmm. uncomfortable with the whole Louis C.K. connection. <laughs> True, but um, yeah, he is respectful, but it, it's like he has this effect on women. But yes. Yeah. He does not seem to take advantage of that. No. Well, he's told by his dad when his dad dies mm -hmm. from the tragedy, only the third time that that gorilla mauled someone at the steel mill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at that specific steel mill. Yeah. Right. Because a gorilla mauling at a steel mill is such a common occurrence. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he tells him, uh, you know, don't let ladies come between you and the belt. So he kind of fixates on his son, you know, that that's what's important. Well, it was like those were his dying words. And I think um, the foreshadowing was that uh, obviously there's going to be a problem where a woman comes between him and the belt. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the second that he said that I was like, OK, well, now I know where the story is going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then Jennifer Coolidge, I forget exactly what they titled her character, but basically that she was, she was basically a hoe, and that hoes were his weakness. Right, right. No, and they do, they, that's not what they title her when she's first introduced, mm -hmm. uh, but that, that that is when she's reintroduced, that's, that's what we're told by the narrator, is that that's right. his only weakness. Yep. Because you can't beat a hoe with a belt because, because they, like they like it too it. much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's still, I don't know. It still tickles me. <laughs> I have a warped sense of humor. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had an issue with, not with Jennifer Coolidge herself, but the way they, they did her character because they do introduce her, her character, Irene. And explain that, you know, she can take down any man that she wants. And then we have a scene with Pootie Tang and his friends. And then we go back to Irene. And it, it even says, Irene, in parentheses, remember? Question mark. Like, mm -hmm. as if the audience didn't just see her. It's almost as if the movie doesn't trust the audience enough to remember these things. And that's actually, that's the, the, the first time that we have that happen. It's Irene, remember? It happens later on with Stacy, the sheriff's daughter where we're asked if we remember her. Remember her, Stacy, the sheriff's daughter? And it's like, dude, seriously, 30 seconds ago we met her, and now you're asking if we remember her. How, either they don't trust the audience or they expect the audience to just be baked out of their mind. <laughs> Which might explain the 67% positive ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Ding, 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 ding. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I think even Wanda Sykes herself said in an interview with um, Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. that uh, something along the lines of if if I if somebody comes up to me and says something about Pootie Tang, I know they're a stoner. <laughs> and I'm like, well, she's not totally wrong. So. No. <laughs> but yeah, it is kind of a stoner movie, and it's almost like those reminders are put in there, like, in case you forgot what happened, you know, two minutes ago, here you go. Yeah. So yeah, he's not disrespectful to women. I guess getting back to our original point, if that was, I'm not sure at this point if that was our original point, but he's not disrespectful to women. And, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's actually set up as a positive role model. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, anti-smoking, anti-drinking, anti-red meat, I guess, telling kids not to eat hamburgers. When he does get into a fight with a, a robber, a potential robber, and he kills the guy we have the quote that it hurts when he kills a man but he knows he's got to do it yeah it seems like more or less uh, until something happens he's kind of passive and i mean his his weapon of choice is his belt so you can't exactly slay a crowd of people with a belt but they try to make it seem like he can (laughs) well and i i it's not just his belt, though, because like in that scene with the guy shooting at him. He, oh, yeah. Well, I guess he does use the belt. That's where he has the belt. The bullets ricochet off the belt. You have the opening gunfight. Yep. Where he's knocking the bullets out of the screen out of the sky with his braid. Yep. Yep. Because because <laughs> one of them bounces towards the audience, which was kind of a fun visual visual shot. It's as if the belt gives him the superpowers. Yeah. I think that was kind of the whole point of the the movie is that. He thought it was all, you know, like all of his specialness and his powers were from that belt. But, you know, as he learned in the end, it had nothing to do with the belt itself. He had it within him. <laughs> right. It's 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 the, the Dumbo's magic feather. Yes. Uh, once we get that that revelation. Uh, you know, that the belt isn't special, that, the, yeah, the magic comes from within, I think is is what he says. So, yeah, Wanda Sykes, you mentioned, mm-hmm. n- not exactly a complex role for her. It pretty much just plays to her strengths as being a, a sassy woman. Like yeah. when they uh, when you have the two men, one of which is an older man, pull up to like hire her for her services. <laughs> Well, because she was hanging out on the street corner that all the, yeah, yeah all how, the hookers wh- were on. Yeah. Something along the lines of, why do you assume when a woman's on the street corner dancing just down the corner from some hose that she's hooking mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it allows her to be sassy. It allows her to, to kind of work towards her strengths. Chris Rock, of course, this is derived from Chris Rock's show. Mm-hmm. He gets a couple of performances in here, almost pulling kind of at Eddie Murphy. He plays at least three different characters that I counted because mm-hmm. uh, he plays Booty Tang. He plays Daddy Daddy Tang, and then he plays Booty Tang's friend, JB. And then he's also a DJ at one point when Booty Tang releases his silent track. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. A couple other comedic performances. You have Andy Richter in here playing the uh, exec at the studio when Pootie Tang's recording that same track, you have David Cross playing the Pootie Tang fill-in mm-hmm. in blackface. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, uh, that's a bit problematic nowadays. Yep. And then probably the, the big, well, you have Jennifer Coolidge, obviously playing the, uh, the, the femme fatale here. And then the, almost blink and you miss it because it was cut from the film and just put in the end credits, you have a very young (laughs) Kristen Bell Mm -hmm. to which I did a double take at that. I was like, that's not Kristen Bell. Is it? That's, Oh my God, that's Kristen Bell. So they, they do have some comedic talent in the film. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would say that they didn't utilize all the comedic talent, but... Oh, no, they did not! <laughs> I couldn't figure out why Andy Richter was in this movie, because they he has, like, two lines, and they, they really aren't utilizing his comedic abilities in any capacity. But I also was focused in that scene on the, uh, the studio operator, because the look on his face when Pootie is recording his silent track was kind of expressed exactly what i was feeling watching this movie <laughs> yeah i could understand that <laughs> and of course i forgot i forgot dave attell playing kind of the stooge for robert vaughn's bad guy which mm-hmm. how robert vaughn got roped into this we'll never know <laughs> one way that i kind of look at this you know how kind of with um certain kevin smith movies it's like he calls all of his friends that are actors and says, hey, can you play this part? I kind of feel like somebody was calling in a whole bunch of favors of friends and acquaintances that they knew to come and play for Pootie Ting. That, that may very well be it. I mean, that's that makes and, and And let's just not to harsh on the guy, but it's not some Kevin Smith films where he does that. <laughs> it's all the Kevin Smith films where he does that. All right. I was trying and to it, give him a little credit, but I'm but he <laughs> but he uses them well most of the time. True. Very true. And Pootie Tang does not. <laughs> um, to, I, I'm not trying to be mean. It's yeah. I like the mogul aspect of the character what they try to do as far as, oh, he's a, not only is he a positive role model and a a positive image on the streets, but he's a singer and he's a musician and he's a dancer and he's a club owner. And he, I mean, he's like, he's everything. Mm -hmm. I found that positive. Again, I I like, I, I almost like the fact that he's for what is supposed to be a, depending on how you want to look at it, representation of black exploitation or parody of black exploitation he's counter character to all of that anyway he's he's a very positive yeah kind of exploitation i guess right and that's unusual for those kinds of films yes but i mean i kind of like that it makes him more likable um you know yeah he he doesn't really have a a bad side to him yeah, and I like the Bob Costas thing. We open with Bob Costas. We we end with Bob Costas. We have a Bob Costas interview in the middle with Wanda Sykes' character, Biggie Shorty. And it, it gets meta there because Bob <laughs> Costas is like, you know, I don't know what's going to, you know, what, what, so what's going on with him? And she's like, haven't you been watching the damn movie? <laughs> you know, it's a very meta moment of. Instead of it being like, well, are you worried about Pootie? No, it's just she's aware it's a movie and Bob Costas almost isn't. I still can't believe David Cross was in this playing in Blackface. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a lot of little questionable tidbits here and there. But yeah, that's definitely one that kind of tops the list there. Just the fact that they had anybody kind of playing in Blackface. But yeah. David Cross kind of being big, yeah. Well, and I, I really, I will say, you know, even though not everybody is is well used in this, you know, as I said before, Lance Crother does manage a decent performance where you can get past the fact that he uh, isn't using regular language. And frankly, J.B. Smoove's per- performance as his best friend is a pretty good performance as far as what he has to do to set the stage for everything. Mm-hmm. For the fact that he's the Judas figure. He's the one who betrays Pootie Tang's trust and attempts to to redeem that later on. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of depth to it, but I feel like J.B. Smoove does a pretty good job with what he's given. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't disagree there. I don't know. I liked all the characters. They just, they all painted a picture for me. And it it's still, I mean, I watched it. I watched it again on Friday and again this morning. And there's still stuff that just makes me laugh. Like you said, it was 18 years ago. Well, it's 2001 and we're in 2019. So, yeah. Oh, I know. Just 
reminders make me feel old. <laughs> oh, I I understand when Chris was on the show and told me how old your kids are. That hurt. <laughs> so this is my revenge, I guess. Yes, this is an 18-year-old movie. <laughs> oh, man. What's your biggest laugh from the movie? Biggest laugh? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. There's so many. I mean, the fact that he's... Um, deflecting bullets with his ponytail with his brain that's one thing and then deflecting bullets with his belt buckle there's so many things that are just off the wall like the the bad guy characters dirty d and how his punishment for him was taking him and his dirty car through the car wash Mm -hmm. and he comes out you know squeaky clean Right. And then in prison, he's forced to shower every day. <laughs> every day. And what does he sneak in? Dirt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I. there's just so much about it that's nonsensical that for whatever reason, it just tickles my funny bone. I will give them props. One of the things that I did find impressive is when Pootie Tang escapes the city and goes out to the farm and goes to get gas and meets the sheriff's daughter and Mm -hmm. the sheriff. Mm -hmm. They very easily could have gone down the, the racism hole with that, making him a Southern stereotype, uh, especially in law enforcement. It would have been very easy to go down with that trope. And they don't. When he, pulls the gun on Pootie Tang, it's because he's trying to force a shotgun wedding. And mm-hmm. his words are, I'd be awfully proud to have you for a son-in-law. Mm-hmm. There's there's absolutely no trace of racism or racial inequality presented in the film, which I find interesting for a black exploitation film. Yeah, that's definitely one thing I thought about watching it again recently that Considering, you know, when Pootie Tang leaves the city, he's out in in the middle of nowhere. He's out in the sticks. And yeah, it seemed like it could get kind of hairy there. But then they went in an opposite direction that was much more positive. I don't know. I guess maybe that's part of why I like some of it. There's things where you would think that uh, generally it would go in one direction and they take it in a completely other direction direction with this right i do find it interesting that you know since we're speaking about that you know the sheriff's daughter who is so so sweet and kind and is kind of embarrassed about her father's behavior about trying to to force him to marry her or force any guy to marry her right and then at the end of the movie she turns mean (laughs) yeah yeah she does she turns really mean Mm mm-hmm and I find it interesting that it, it ends with a uh, a card for Pootie Tang's next adventure. And I, I couldn't find anywhere in any trivia that established that they were actually intending for this to become a franchise or there was actually going to be a sequel. But it reminded me a lot of like, I think it was Buckaroo Banzai that ends with a stay tuned for Buckaroo Banzai's next adventure. And then that movie ended up becoming something else because Buckaroo Banzai was such a flop and really only found its success as a cult hit, kind of like this one. Sounds accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely, I would say definitely this is a cult classic. Maybe more of a stoner cult cult classic, maybe not, but definitely one of those ones that got popular after its initial release. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the algorithm. Algorithm says is kind of a lightning round of other movies recommended by various algorithms that you might like based on this movie. And so what I'm asking for is you give a quick response. Yes, no, as far as whether you would like it or do like it, haven't seen it. Where the hell did that one come from? That kind of thing. Okay, short responses. Yeah, it's like a lightning round. All right. So the (laughs) algorithm says, so if you like Pootie Tang, you might like. Baby's kids. <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Crooklyn. Uh, no clue. No clue. Okay. Uh, Drumline. Uh, no. No, you don't like it. No, you haven't seen it. No. Um. No, I don't think it. It 
it's one that um, if you've seen Pootie Tang, you would like this. They don't feel like they go together. Yeah, that's kind of my what the hell with this one with this list because Drumline's a, a serious movie and I mm-hmm. I really like it, but I don't know where that connection comes up. Blank Man. <laughs> um, yes, probably that. Yeah. Yeah, I it's... thought of it while I was watching this movie. <laughs> and part of it was I was thinking I really wish I was watching that one instead of this movie, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was always a big fan of the show in Living Color. Right. So that that might kind of help show you what kind of humor I like. <laughs> no, that yeah, that does. Uh the Nutty Professor, the Eddie Murphy version, obviously. Uh maybe, but it's definitely not the same kind of humor right it's humorous but in a different way okay booty call i don't know if i've seen that okay and (laughs) barbershop um maybe that's a maybe you know people might find it funny if they found pooty tang funny okay cool all right we always end with the pop quiz got four questions this is nobody's actually keeping score so don't worry so, wait, wait, wait. If I get a better score than Chris does. <laughs> <laughs> that, that makes you a, a more of a fan of your movie than he was of his. Sweet. Okay. I can live with that. <laughs> All right. You ready? Ready. Here we go. All right. Number one, Pootie Tang's noticeable speech patterns are derived from what? A, Yoda's inverted sentence structure. B, Buckwheat's speech impediment. C, Louis C.K.'s childish antics. Or D, Chris Rock riffing in the writer's room? I honestly don't know the answer, so I'm going to take a guess and go with D. No, it's C. Louis C.K. based the speech pattern off of things he did when he was a child to amuse himself. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Number two. The first draft of Pootie Tang saw the hero as a bit different before Louis C.K. was mandated to rewrite the script for a PG-13 rating. What was different? A... Pootie carried guns, B, hyperviolence, C, harsher language, or D, explicit sex? I'm going to go with C, harsher language. Yeah, actually, all four were true. It was a very different movie, and Louis C.K. decided to rewrite the hero as a positive role model for children with respect for women. Again, kind of hard to connect that to the man that he's been, but, you know, hey. Just makes it a little more ironic right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a gun-toting, hyper-violent, cursing. There was explicit sex. It was a very different script, and then he had to write it for a PG-13 rating. So Yeah. Three, as we talked about earlier, Louis C.K. was removed from the film. He was not involved in the final cut. What aspect of the film did writer-director Louis C.K. criticize after he was removed from the editing process? A, the character intro splash screens. B, the Bob Costas segments, C, the end credit conclusion cards, or D, Truckee's narration? Mm, I'm going to go with C. Nope. He was not a fan of the the overarching narration at all. That was not in his original script. Oh, okay. <laughs> Last one. Originally slated for a low-budget independent film release... The success of what other film project elevated Pootie Tang to a main studio-wide release? A, Snatch. B, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. C, Shaft, the 2000 remake. Or D, Austin Powers. Ooh. I don't know. I'll say D, Austin Powers. That's right. Austin Powers was responsible for this becoming a wide mainstream release because it did so well and they felt like this was in the same tone as that. <laughs> somebody guessed wrong (laughs) well to be honest with you i haven't gone back to the austin powers films since they were in theaters so i don't know maybe they don't hold up that well true i haven't watched austin powers in a while but i find austin powers funny on a whole other level right Uh, me too (laughs) uh i forget do you have a parent that is british no, I don't. Oh. <laughs> okay. I thought that's what you meant, but okay. Yeah, my, my dad's British, so... Oh, so you mean on that different level. Yeah, so it, it's almost like it's a caricature kind of making fun of 
stereotypical British things. And I don't know why, but that's another one that at the time it just, it tickled me because it's just kind of really rubbing it in your face. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Marissa, do you have anything you want to promote anywhere where people can find you online or are you one of the invisible ones? Um, I'm relatively invisible other than Facebook. Okay. I keep it simple. <laughs> Not a bad way to go. I I was trying to cut back my social media presence and then I decided to do a podcast and that killed that idea so. <laughs> that backfired that yeah. yeah all right well thank you for bringing pootie tang to the show it's uh it's been an interesting conversation <laughs> well all i can say is you know i'm i'm happy to spread the message of pootie tang around the world <laughs> all right thank you so much so what do you think is pootie tang really the stoner movie wanda sykes seems to think it is what does it say about the black exploitation genre? For that matter, what are some other black exploitation films I should check out? Let me know. You can find me at Town Hess on Twitter or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can just use the RSS feed to subscribe through whatever podcatcher you prefer. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, although I'd appreciate it more if you just helped spread the word and help me build up some listeners. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard games, be sure to check out the podcast I've started with previous guests Monica, Alora, Siegfried, and Chris Talent. Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Marissa Talent for providing this week's conversation. Maybe you have a movie you'd like to talk about, one that means something to you or you're particularly astonished when you discover people have not seen. Come be a guest on the show. Head over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, click the Be a Future Guest button, submit the form there, and we'll get you set up for a future episode. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. <laughs>